Thanks, and welcome to the Wednesday, January 24th, 2024 meeting of the Redmond Planning Commission. I'll call this meeting to order. And we'll begin with a roll call. Commissioner Woodyear? Present. Commissioner Parna? Present. Commissioner Van Nyman? Present. Vice Chair Weston? Present. And I'm Chair Sherry Nichols, and uh, Commissioner Sheffern is excused. I also want to recognize staff who have extended their work day to support us this evening. Uh, present are Jeff Churchill, uh, Chris Wyatt, Glenn Coyle, Lauren Alpert, Josh Mueller, and Ian Lefcourt. Look for a motion to approve the agenda for tonight. So moved. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 And the, motion, the agenda is approved. Uh, we also have uh, meeting minutes from January 10th, 2024, and in a from the Wayback Machine, uh, July 12th, 2023. Uh, there was an error in the uh, description of the approval for the PC report for the economic vitality element and park element plan. So we revised the minutes. So we need a motion to approve both. Both of these. So moved. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 And these minutes are approved. This is the point in the meeting where we provide uh, public comment for any item that is not subject of a public hearing. And we have two people signed up. And first is Devin Kay. Testing. Okay. Good evening, Redmond Planning Commissioners and staff. My name is Devin Kellogg. I'm here tonight to share how climate chaos relates to housing affordability and how Redmond families and beyond, for Redmond families and beyond, and what we can all do about it. For decades, I have been fortunate to live on Ed Hill with my husband and our two kids. There are so many things we all love about living and working in Redmond. We hope it will be our forever home. However, as we are in the low to mid-income group and on a budget, our biggest challenge has been managing the health effects, monthly bills, and home maintenance costs related to our failing fossil appliances and increasing extreme weather patterns. Along with devastating chronic asthma, or sorry, along with developing chronic asthma from a toxic combo of indoor combustion fumes, mold, and smoke, depending on the season, there have been times during our scorching heat waves I got so overheated, my hands and feet swelled, and I was on the verge of going to the ER. As lucky as we are to live in a place, have a place to live, where do you go when your sanctuary becomes a death drop? Plus, these rapid freeze, thaw, and heat extremes are wreaking havoc on roads, pipes, landscaping, and livelihoods. I don't even want to think about what might happen to all the gas lines if a major earthquake were to happen. The irony is that these fossil-fueled appliances aren't just unhealthy, unsafe, costly, and ineffective in today's climate. Their fuel is, in fact, a major driver of the increasing harmful effects we are experiencing. Even cold snaps like the one last week are consistent with a rapidly warming Arctic region pushing cool air southward. Methane, the primary components of natural, natural gas in our appliances, have been deemed by the experts to be a critical pollutant for us to reduce this decade. 
to avoid worsening climate effects. Plus, there are so many better options now, such as electric heat pumps that are cleaner, safer, more efficient, and also provide refreshing, life-saving cooling in the summer. Thanks to the Federal Inflation Reduction Act and Energy Smart East Side, my family has come up with a plan that will improve our living conditions and save us money in the long run. But it has involved extensive effort and daunting upfront costs that are difficult to manage in our position. I bring this up to ask you, please, do not lock other resource-limited folks into a similar situation. It is far less expensive and healthier for everyone to simply build green from the start. In addition, we are all becoming familiar with the growing list of harmful climate effects. But have you considered how these effects are also impacting housing affordability overall? During recent discussions, we learned that projects are not penciling out anywhere right now due to two main reasons, interest rates and increased costs. Some of this may simply be normal market cycles, as you've all surmised. However, some costs will not cycle, but will instead continue along with our warming trajectory. For example, according to the PBS Weathered series, the record number of billion-dollar disasters in the U.S. over the past several years has impacted the production and availability of building materials, stretched labor markets thin, and dramatically increased risk assessments, driving up construction and insurance costs everywhere. Some major insurers have even stopped in issuing policies in certain areas. Many in my extended family have lived this experience. One way or another, we will all have to contend with these ever-increasing impacts and related costs, that is, unless or until we collectively change course on the underlying causes, such as ending our reliance on methane gas. The buck stops here, as they say. Here are the top three ways responsible forward-thinking cities are putting us on a healthier and more sustainable trajectory. One, increasing performance standards towards binding net zero targets, like Seattle, Boston, New York City, and others. Implementing increased indoor air quality standards, Ashland, Oregon, California Bay Area. Limiting fossil hookup subsidies and promoting green incentives for all buildings, not just an elective subset, like in Oregon. New energy efficiency requirements in our state building codes will help. But if we are serious about sustainability, affordability, and equity here in Redmond, we can, we can and should do more to improve the outcomes for all of us. I urge you to consider this as you work through related policies. Thank you. Thank you. Next we have David M. Good evening, Commissioners. I'm David Morton, 19934 Northeast Union Hill Road, Redmond, 98053. Redmond's Municipal Code mentions a special regulation pertaining to the treatment and storage of hazardous materials in Redmond's commercial, business park, manufacturing park, and industrial zones. The special regulation stipulates that hazardous materials shall not cause fumes, unpleasant odors, or harm to others in the course of normal handling. I'm concerned that Redmond residents and businesses may get insufficient help from the city when they experience harmful effects from inhaling fumes and unpleasant odors caused by businesses allowed to handle hazardous materials in these zones. It's not just heavy industries that cause air pollution. Light industries, such as the following, can pose serious health consequences for those who are downwind from them. 
auto body shops, dry cleaners, electroplating operations, fiberglass fabrication operations, and paint and coating manufacturing and operations. Does Redmond have established mechanisms for addressing this issue and for encouraging businesses to comply with the city's special regulation which prohibits businesses from handling hazardous materials in a manner that causes fumes, unpleasant odors, or harm to others? I requested a response to this question from the city eight days ago, but have not yet received a reply. Perhaps Redmond does not enforce the regulation. While state and federal regulations place limits on the amount of emissions from polluting operations, dangerous releases of toxic air pollution can occur if an operation is not in compliance with regulations. Compliance inspections are often done only annually, often consist and often consist of uh, just a brief checklist to ensure that an operation and maintenance log is being kept and that essential pollution prevention equipment is on site. After demonstrating compliance on the day of inspection, unethical businesses may return to non-compliant work practices. Some may believe that businesses operating in Redmond are fully compliant year-round with regulations to reduce air, water, and soil pollution. However, the Department of Ecology map of toxic cleanup sites in Redmond shows numerous sites where cleanup has only started or are awaiting cleanup, including the Redmond Flex site in southeast Redmond. The Municipal Code's special regulation on handling hazardous materials in Redmond raises concerns about potential harm to the public health and the environment from fumes and odors in the specified zones. Residents and businesses may lack the city's support when affected by emissions from businesses like auto body shops and dry cleaners. Does Redmond effectively enforce regulations to prevent harm from toxic fumes and odors caused by hazardous materials? My inquiry remains unanswered, and there are doubts and questions about the efficacy of compliance inspections and the city's commitment to reducing pollution. The Department of Ecology's map of toxic cleanup sites contradicts the assumption that all businesses are fully compliant. If Redmond receives complaints of fumes and unpleasant odors caused by a business which handles hazardous materials, perhaps the matter could be referred to Ecology's Pollution Prevention Assistance Program. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, that's everyone who signed up. So we will move on to uh, Redmond 2050 Economic Vitality Element Confirmation of Recommendation. And Glenn. Good evening, Commissioners. Uh, for the record, I am Glenn Coyle, Senior Planner in the Long Range Planning Group. Uh, the purpose of this agenda item is for the Planning Commission to review and confirm its recommendation to the City Council to adopt the economic vitality element of the Redmond 2050 Comprehensive Plan to ensure it is consistent with the findings and preferred growth alternative uh, as identified in the Redmond 2050 Final Environmental Impact Statement, or FEIS, which was published December 15, 2023. 
the Planning Commission reviewed and recommended approval of updates to the economic vitality element during the second quarter of 2023 and voted to recommend approval at its June 28th, uh, 2023 meeting. At the time, the Redmond 2015 environmental review was ongoing. While state law only requires that final action, that is council adoption, occur after environmental review is complete, has been the city's practice to complete environmental review prior to beginning planning commission's review. So this agenda item is, uh, provides an opportunity for the commission to either affirm its prior recommendation or modify its prior recommendation based on information contained in the supplemental EIS or the final EIS. And as noted in the memo, staff reviewed the documents and found uh, no inconsistencies that could impact your recommendation. Thank you. Okay. So seeing as there were no inconsistencies from the final EIS, do we have a motion to confirm our recommendation? So moved. Second. All in favor of confirming our recommendation? Aye. 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 And our recommendation is confirmed. Thank you. Great. That was the easy one. Now we'll move on to Redmond 2050 Centers Element and Overlake Regulations Study Session and Potential rec Recommendation. And Jeff is Becky tonight. <laughs> I am, and this chair is very low, so I'm going to sit up nice and tall. <laughs> I'm also going to uh, share the slides here momentarily. All right, uh, good evening planning commissioners. Uh, Jeff Churchill as the chair noted and tonight we are here to seek a recommendation from the planning commission on the centers portions of the centers element and overlake regulations that have been uh, presented to you over the course of the last three to six months. Um, so we'll we'll do a, just a refresh on kind of the center's element and what portions of it are proposed to be amended. The contents over, of the Overlake regulations, just to remind you of the totality of the package, um, and then go over some specific uh, revisions that occurred after the publication of the packet on Friday, so we can all have the whole picture of what is on the table. <clears throat> Uh, the center's element was reviewed in 2022 and 2023 as part of phase one. And um, the part, all, all of the contents of the center's element in phase two is actually moving to the community development and design element. Um, at the time that the planning commission was reviewing the center's element for just centers and overlake, um, we were still intending, although this has changed, to adopt those changes and the Overlake regulations separately from uh, the rest of the elements. That's no longer the case, but they still got reviewed early. Um, so that's just the, that's the only portion we're talking about now, although you see in your packet for tonight that you see how it fits into the larger community development and design 
as well. So that's the only, it's the only portion we're asking for a recommendation on. The code pieces are several, and they were reviewed in four separate packages over the course of the last few months by the Planning Commission, and there were separate hearings for each one. Uh, they are a combination of updates specifically related to Overlake and the updates to the policies and the need to accommodate growth. And that's kind of on the left-hand column, uh, he header in blue, Rebin 2050. There are also some related parts that are closely enough related that they kind of traveled along with the Overlake regulations that were originally scoped as part of the Redmond Zoning Code rewrite. So you're seeing a little bit of a combination there. Uh, so these are these chapters that are amended uh, that are part of the code rewrite. Uh, and we're gonna go into each of them a little bit more. In 2104, 2104 is at the beginning of the zoning code and it has some fairly general provisions. This specific amendment is about defining limited uses. <clears throat> and really a, a limited use is a use that is permitted with some special regulations that apply. So it's permitted if you do X, beyond just kind of the standards only regulations that are generally applicable. Uh, so that's the purpose of a, a limited use. And that was further defined in 2104. Uh, 2122 public art would be a new chapter uh, and this codifies a process that the city council approved for reviewing public art um, and the planning commission reviewed this a few months ago. 2167 and appendix 10 both have to do with green building. 2167 is the zoning code language for a green building and appendix 10 are the technical details for the green building incentive program. Um, the idea is to, it, it had been quite some time since the green building program was put together and it was certainly due for a refresh, especially in light of the fact that the city had adopted an environmentally, environmental sustainability action plan in 2020. So really the goal is to align it with that. So it's a complete rewrite of the chapter. It takes account of um, a lot that's occurred since then, changes in energy codes, um, emphasis on low impact development among them. It is a voluntary program. Uh, and um, the Planning Commission has been reviewing that over the past um, several months as well. And some of the changes we're gonna talk about tonight relate specifically uh, to Appendix 10 here. 2145 would be a new chapter. And just as a reminder, this is to um, set standards for how to address solid waste management at multifamily and mixed use sites, particularly in more urban contexts. Um, in our centers, for example, where some of the spaces that are might be more available and less constrained in a suburban setting are difficult to come by in an urban setting. So that's the purpose of the, creating this chapter. There are two specific changes in the definitions chapter. Uh, one is replacing the word marijuana with cannabis uh, per state law. And then another is um, addr again, addressing state law um, that expands accessible, affordable childcare and early childhood development programs specifically waiving the limit restricting family daycare providers to uh, 12 children and creating a process for that. <clears throat> okay, so the, the parking changes are gonna get subsumed by the changes that are proposed in the transportation regulations. So you're gonna approve this and it's immediately gonna get um, kind of overwritten by what you're gonna review later this evening. <laughs> 
All right, and then there are several chapters that are about Overlake specifically, uh, TOD focus areas and intercultural districts, just creating a chapter to house those. There are um, both existing in Overlake or proposed to exist. And we are also looking at uh, TOD focus areas for downtown and for Miramore Village that we actually intend to bring you our first ideas on next month. Repealing high capacity transit, uh, corridor preservation because it's no longer needed. Uh, minor updates to the TDR chapter to reflect the new zoning districts as we rename them. We have to find them everywhere in the code and rename them. So that's, that's what that is about. Uh, the transition overlay areas, you may remember these are kind of special setbacks that exist at the boundaries of certain zones. Um, this would, the revisions here would have that um, not apply where it would impede the implementation of the TOD focus area within the Metro Center in Overlake. Uh, so, so new naming in uh, 2162, which are design standards for urban centers, uh, high-rise uh, tower standards uh, being proposed for 2160. No standards for towers exist because there is no ability to build towers in Redmond, but there would be with the Overlake regulations. And so standards, uh, design standards for those are included in 2160. 2162 has updated design standards for Marymore Village, um, some minor naming and cross-reference updates uh, and some updates, re updates related to various um, urban design standards such as, such as parking locations, parking garages, and things of that nature. This is all, this is all things you've already reviewed and this is just a re recapitulation of it all. And it was uh, quite a large package just going through this all. A uh, number of definitions related to centers and transit-oriented development are in 2178. And the big one, just a, a, a complete overhaul of 2112, which is the Overlake chapter. Uh, these, this is a list of all the new sections in Overlake uh, that are part of the package. I won't read them all, but this is, again, just a complete repeal and replace. <clears throat> uh, 300 creates the zoning districts. 400 contains the land use regulations, so what uses would be allowed. This one also is kind of temporary because um, what we intend to propose to the Planning Commission is having a single, uh, having all of the allowed uses be in 2104 at the beginning of the code for all of the zones. And so the information in this section would migrate uh, to there. Setbacks, build two lines, how buildings relate to the street, that's, that's what 500 is about. Uh, 600 is the incentive package on which uh, uh, you spent considerable time and effort. And uh, there are, there's another one which is new, which is 505, the transition standards, transition to new standards that was um, introduced uh, for the January 10th public hearing. And with further apologies, the slides that I added to share with you the changes in the issues matrix disappeared between the time I turned off the computer and turned it back on. So I'm instead going to just bring up the issues matrix that has the same content because I, I know not everyone had a chance to see that. So I do want to uh, make sure everybody has an opportunity to look at it and consider it. Okay. So I'm going to zoom in here as far as I can and scroll back up. 
Uh, this is the issues matrix from December 20th. There, there are 11 issues on it. The first six were open and they remained open uh, because these were Commissioner Parnas issues and she was not present at the December 20th meeting. So that's kind of the background. Um, and so we might as well go through it from top to bottom. Um, and with many thanks to Jenny Liebeck who is online, she and Aparna connected today about these. Um, and so we just wanna make sure we um, have resolution on them or a way forward. Um, before we have the Planning Commission uh, make a recommendation. Go ahead. Uh, thank you, Jeff. Um, thank you, Jenny. So I would like to officially close um, the one, three, five, and six right away. Uh, four can also be closed as long as we make sure that we come back to it and make sure that the, uh, there is... Uh, the, the calculator has more details when it is ready. And two is the one that, um, from what I understand, we need a lot more data on, and I'm hoping we can revisit it. Um, two is where I would like to see some information on mixed-use buildings with a heavy amount of multifamily in it. So what happens? Can we have a combination of um, Appendix M, for the multifamily and a different kind of plumbing sizing for uh, the retail slash commercial component of these mixed use buildings. Um, I know it's a little bit more complicated and involved question, but that building type is very hard to pin down. So can we have an answer for it in the next round and then close this please? That will be for two and four also at a later date, I'd like to see information on the calculator, specifics for the calculator. Great, so for for issue two, is it is it also related to issue one? Because that's where the Appendix M comes up uh, specifically. So I was to make sure we... Okay, yeah, we could just swap it out maybe, yeah. Okay, but I understand, I understand what you're asking for, which is to take a look at how we can uh, apply a concept like Appendix M in a mixed use building or, or what to do about that. And I think, and so yes, we can investigate that with the subject matter experts. And we have, we have the kind of the omnibus public hearing coming up this summer where it will tie up some loose ends and kind of bring the whole plan back for the planning commission to look at. And that would be a timeline on which we could address that. That, that, that would be fine. So if we can just make sure that's, uh, I, I believe it is one, so my mistake on that one. Uh, the second one is something on the commercial building side. Uh, I believe that also needs some um, kind of, um, how do I put it, more elaboration. Uh, but that also can be brought back together. Both building types can be brought back together at the omnibus public hearing. It sounds very scary though, <laughs> okay. but um, yeah, so we can put those two as a bundle for the next round and the calculator points as well for the next round. So that's three closed but open items. And if you could make a note in our recommendation packet that these, are, these will be revisited, I'd be really appreciative. I don't wanna drop the ball. Sure. Thank you. Mr. Weston. Um, I'm just a little confused about the concept of closed but open. Um, it's closed, but we'll make a note that. So, so we'll make a note in the recommendation, but also um, with, and I think in the recommendation we can say, and the plan is to 
to conduct some further research and evaluation in the winter and spring and bring that back to you this summer with kind of the final hearing and study sessions on the plan. So Does it make sense so there's to leave the, them open then? Well, we have to close the issues matrix. It's not gonna be part of this recommendation. I see. So, right. Okay. It'll be in a future. It's our recommendation to kick the can down the road. Okay. Kicking <laughs> this part out of this yeah. part and to the next next part. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to make sure they don't get lost because I think been they're done good in other places as well. Yeah. We've okay. done it before. It's been done before. Great. This, yeah. Doesn't get doesn't get lost. It just. Okay. But we have to close out this issues matrix for the recommendation, and we're not going to resolve this part of it in this recommendation. Can I? May I actually jump in with my question? Because yeah. I think it's going to be relevant here. So I think I've lost the broader picture of what is happening here. Um, the Venn diagram of Overlake and then, which I was following, and centers, and then the new community development and design element. Like, what are we actually doing today in the recommendation? Overlake. And there's later we'll be talking about community development and at some point it's all going to get kind of merged in it seemed like a of lot it. of overlap to me when i was reading so i'm just i'm confused where the line is and maybe there's a calendar piece that i'm missing we a uh, what piece i'm sorry like a calendar piece calendar piece so we are asking for a recommendation on overlake policies and overall centers policies and we we printed those separately in your packet so you could see which ones those are and exactly what's changed between the last time you saw them and and tonight we're asking you for a recommendation on those because we're also asking for a recommendation on the overlake regulations and we want to bring those to the council together because you reviewed them together and because the council needs to see the policy foundation for the regulatory updates that you're recommending. So that's why we want those recommendations to travel together as one. At the same time, we've already begun the process of moving those policies into the new community development design element and putting them together with downtown and with Mary Moore and with, with others. And at the end of the day, that all gets adopted at the same night in the same ordinance. And so the sequencing will kind of cease to matter at that point. But because the Overlake regulations are, are ready and the Overlake policies are ready and the center's policies are ready because they got reviewed first, we wanna move those to council together so that they can see it as one thing and we will then move the rest of the community development and design element later in the spring and the council will review it in the summer. But they'll adopt it all. So this is time. largely because it's so big. We reviewed it together. We want to keep the policies and code in sync. Yeah, and it was just sort of a we were we're sort of doing this, changing this thing as we go along and rearranging it as we go along and figuring out how it all is going to fit together as we go along, and things shift. And when does this recommendation, if we make it tonight, go to City Council? February sixth. Okay, versus four months from now for the entire. Right. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much. You're welcome. 
I want to make sure we cover the specific um, code changes that are proposed as a result of the conversations um, since the last time we talked about this. One of them is an issue two, and this is <clears throat> a, this is part of the appendix, if I'm not mistaken, that there is a a bullet to be added here about water leak detection to install water sensors connected to a local building management system or metering solution on water use subsystems. Um, this is an option. This is one uh, one optional technique of of more than one to be added in Appendix Ten um, to address Commissioner Aparna specifically. Your comment. That was the idea, that it gets added and we just have to make sure it's added, that's all, so. I'll keep going unless there's more discussion on that. In issue three, there is, this is about embodied carbon and the proposed changes are here. Do you want to speak to it? No, I, I think it works great. Um, as per my request, we just wanted to zoom in on what the barriers, minimum barriers are for this because it, it's a very complicated space and the calculations add burden to the developers. So having the highest impact materials within body carbon would be our, you know, it's the lowest hanging fruit for now. And so, um, this is based on science and research. These materials are the ones which have the highest embodied carbon, but they also have the most data available. <coughs> Therefore, this is the best way to go forward. People can go further as noted, but this is the minimum on those. So, thank you. Commissioner Weston. Sorry, I'm trying to read this. I didn't get a chance to read ahead of time. Um, what is the difference between 11 and 12, other than the 10 and 30%? You can speak to that. <clears throat> um, so what, what we did is, in response to um, Commissioner Parno's recommendation, is instead of just noting that we would calculate the or that they should calculate the embodied carbon baseline, we narrowed it to um, specific materials, so concrete, steel, and insulation. So that, that's the new language here. And that was applied to both 11 and 12, the two techniques that referenced embodied carbon. Oh, perfect. Okay, thank you. Okay, and the final change here is, is on issue 11, which is a new issue, and this was the one that was raised at the January 10th hearing about, uh, about how projects will transition to the new regulations. That's one of the concerns. And then a, a second concern about what, what kind of exceptions would be granted to the rule that buildings need to be mixed-use buildings. Um, so starting with that one first, there is a table uh, in 2112, and there's a note in the table that describes what those uh, acceptable exceptions would be. And the change here is instead of listing uh, parcel, slides, parcel size and or slope, it's, it's a broader list, including but not limited to parcel size and or slope, um, so that other conditions could be considered as well. That would be 
limiting to the point where a mixed-use building wouldn't be feasible. So it's to increase some flexibility there. And then in 2112.505, which is a new section that for which the hearing was held on January 10th, this is about, you know, if you've got a project in the pipeline, what are, what are the um, provisions available that would let you get to the end of the road before the new, so that you wouldn't need to kind of start over and redesign the project? So the changes here are, uh, we heard the about difficulty in getting scheduled on the design review board. So instead of actually having feedback from the design review board, there would also be an option of just, just hearing from staff that a meeting was ready to be scheduled would be sufficient. Uh, and then uh, this applies to all most land use application types. Um, but type five, type five permits, what we're really talking about there is development agreements. And development agreements don't end in building permits, they end in the, ag the agreement that the city council approves. And so the December 31st, 2026 deadline wouldn't apply to type five, it only applied to type two, three, and four, because those are the only ones that end kind of in building permits. Also, the deadline has been extended out a year. Um, so this provides a minimum of two years, but it's really two plus, because it's whoever's in the pipeline today, to get from their entitlement review to their building permit application, so complete application. So it's not actually getting the certificate of occupancy or starting construction, it's just having your complete building permit application in hand by December 31st, 2026, which we think is a, a reasonable compromise because two years should be um, enough time to get there. And as a consequence, the section would not expire until December 31st, 2026, so that date has also been changed. If I can go back to the first one, um, who gets to decide if the site conditions preclude multifamily? Or uh, sorry, multi mixed use. It's going to be the, co the code administrator has the authority to make uh, permit decisions for, you know, these are generally site plan entitlements. So it's going to be the code administrator who is the planning director. Okay. Is that um, predictable enough that it doesn't, just turn into either like a lobbying point or a, like a, would people be able to tell if their project clearly qualified or didn't? What normally happens just as a matter of practice is that uh, people will come in with pre-application for pre-application meetings and this will be one of the questions they ask. You know, we think this site qualifies for an exception. What is, what is the planning department's opinion on that? So, and I expect that's, that would be the first place it gets aired. I guess what I'm wondering is if this is actually rigorous enough that it would make it possible to continue to think that um, like mixed use would be the standard or if it makes it much easier to like kind of toss this aside. I don't think that uh, the change in the language has an impact on that. Okay. It's, it, it's hard to know what every circumstance is going to be, and we can't write that in the code. And so we use words like substantially limit. So that's an amount that um, is not precise, but we know it's more than a little bit, and it's, and it's, it's substantial. 
Yeah, I can see that. I, w I guess there are two ways I'm hoping like that I want to avoid, and they're both kind of coming out to pushing for something a little bit more declarative. Um, the first is developer confusion, because um, I do think that knowing up front what the rules are makes it a lot easier to stick to those rules and like not get bogged down in an impossible situation. Um, and then from the city perspective, being able to develop the area to a type of development that the city is looking for. And so I, in both cases, I think it's better to be a little bit more prescriptive. Um, but that requires being a little more uh, crystal ball gazing. I mean, we've got, I mean, you know, the reason for adding the included but not limited to is because the argument was that there could be other factors besides parcel size and or slope. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think it's always going to be somewhat of a negotiation. And there, I mean, there is a, a safe harbor, um, which is to follow the follow the rule to do a mixed use building. So that is the that is the predictable standard. If you do that it will get approved because that's what the that's what the standard is. If the if you don't want to do that then there's a there's a there's a burden of showing why not and yeah. and finding one of these conditions. The, the predictable way is to do what the city wants, which is mixed use. If you want something else then you've got to <laughs> I might be coming at this as like a mom of a 14 year old, but this just seemed like a very wiggle room sort of area. Um, I'm fine with it, but it. Well, I think, you know, the, the no wiggle room, if you want total predictability, then do mixed use. If you think you need some wiggle room, then we've got some wiggle room for you. Oh, I didn't, yeah, different wiggle room. Like, basically what I'm saying is, like, being able, for someone to read the code and be like, does my site apply or not to this exception? That's why we I have don't pre-application process. Okay. Come in and say, I'd like to not do that. Can I get by with that? I don't right. want to follow the normal path. If the city's fine with that, I am, but I just, I was... Curious. Like, it seems like it's inviting that process to include clarity that argument. Is, clarity is a great thing um, and is often at odds with providing flexibility. And the, re mm -hmm. the request was, you know, the, the concern was that it was too limiting and that there could be other circumstances. And the, I think the consequence of creating more flexibility is, is a loss of clarity uh, because it, it creates more, more potential exceptions. Um, but those those are often intention, and you find that throughout the code. Mm -hmm. And so th this would be, I think, one of many examples you would find. Okay, thank you. I mean, one of the things we heard from developers was that it can be difficult to do mixed use on certain streets because they don't get the kind of traffic and walking traffic and that would support it. So, I think that's... Another, another exception request might be, you know, right now, Redmond is, uh, according to some of the work that's coming out of the Economic Development Strategic Plan, 
Rebin has very low retail vacancy rates, but you can imagine where maybe that situation is reversed and in, at some point in time, retail vacancies at rates are very high, Redmond's over retailed and someone might come in and say, look, my, the site condition here is we're not, we're not in a situation where anybody can build retail. And that, that's something that's not listed here, but that, that could be considered. I don't know if it can qualify as a site condition per se, <laughs> except that it's kind of occurs at a, in a time and place, but. <laughs> I, think, I think it's to everyone's benefit to have some flexibility, to have the predictable path, but to have some flexibility around that path. As long as it doesn't, like the, there's a cost associated with that. So as long as the cost is like written in as an expected part of that policy, then I'm fine with that. Okay, are you suggesting changes to the language or? Um, I mean, what I'm concerned about is that it's going to be like everything will be a site condition that precludes building retail, like that people would prefer not to build it. And so it's easy to claim site condition when really what they mean is economic condition or business plan or. So the, the language prior to this, it said such as, so it said such as parcel size and or slope. So the, the real, the, it's, it's a, the real nuance here is that this is like adding not limited to so the, the alternative is leave it as such as, such as parcel size and or slope, which also is, implies that there are other things. The city can also say no. You can't. Right. Yeah. Just because okay. somebody asks for something doesn't mean they get it. Yeah, there's just a cost to the asking. It's a cost on both sides to the asking. Okay, so I, I believe that carries us through a review of the package and identification of things that are new since you last saw it, which are the three things that are in the issues matrix. Um, this issue is open, so before the commission moved on, we, we need to close this issue. We ready to close this issue? Yes, we're ready to close this issue. Does anybody have any discussion or further questions about the center's element and overlay regulations? Do we have a, a motion for a recommendation? Yes, so moved. Second. Before you vote, can I, can I just clarify for the record if the motion is to yeah. recommend what was oh. in your packet today yes. uh, for tonight, which is the center's element amendments and the zoning code package as kind of revised through the issues matrix that we just discussed, just so that it's clear for the, for the record. Is that what, no, that is absolutely what I understand what it, it to be? Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate the, yeah. no, you don't, you the don't emphasis on that. clarity. Um, yes, absolutely. Thank right. you. Okay, now that we all know what we're voting on, 
Everybody in favor? Aye. 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 Anybody opposed? And recommendation passes. Thank you, and on behalf of Becky, thank you, and on behalf of Jenny, also thank you. Okay, now we will move on to the housing element regulations for Ripman 2050. Ian. Thank you, Chair. Now I'd like to welcome up Mike Stanger, expert witness from ARCH, a regional coalition for housing, and I will share my PowerPoint. Okay, so we are talking about housing, both the element of the comprehensive plan, the technical appendix of the comprehensive plan, and the regulations. Um, so we'll go through what we're asking to PC tonight. We'll do a summary of the housing element, summary of the amendments. Much like the Overlake presentation that just came before you, there were further revisions to the draft amendments between when the 24th packet was published and now, so we'll go over that. Uh, I have an example recommendation and then our timeline. The ask is, what is the Planning Commission recommendation for those three items? The housing element, the technical appendix, and the amendments. Uh, as a reminder, the housing element was one of the first elements that was going through the Redmond 2050 process. Uh, the commission reviewed the three versions of the housing element. Uh, July and August uh, went through the full technical committee report. We have a land code. We are under the broader Redmond 2050 SEPA. Um, and the, ultimately, the commission completed a review, but uh, deferred a formal vote until the whole piece was there. Um, but there were no remaining issues open on that issues matrix, and there seemed to be consensus on decision. For the uh, amendment summary, here's what was in January 10th content. Uh, we've seen this. What's most relevant is what changed between the 10th and the 24th packet. Largely changes to 2120. We added that alternative compliance development agreement option. We'll touch on that. The improved clarity for the pioneer provision table. We added a 70% AMI band for the Pioneer Provision Table to give a little bit more granularity. And we also increased the total number of units. Um, and we added development partners as potential entities responsible for the payment of fees for the affordable housing developed on uh, religious lands. And then for live work, we also added a provision about uh, including a proportional mix across both the market rate and the affordable housing. We have a provision uh, to that intent in 2120, but because live work units are a little bit different than bedrooms, we just wanted to make that explicit. Here's the change to the Pioneer provision. Uh, overall, it's an increase of 50 market rate units, and we've added that middle tranche of 12.5 uh, units at 70% AMI. There's the addition of the provision for um, development partners could be responsible for the fees. For live work units, that's very much the same language that's in 2120, just 
tweaked for this specific typology. And here's the uh, recommendation for the mandatory inclusionary zoning specifically for Overlake. Uh, and as always, please note that the MFTE will be amended to align with the new IZ regulations, but that is outside the purview of the Planning Commission. And then here is the changes of the changes. These are the revisions that occurred after the 24th packet was published. And as you can see, they're mainly in 2120. So let's walk through them. Uh, this is the third alternative compliance piece. Uh, our input here was that we wanted to provide more flexibility for satisfying on-site affordable housing units. So the intent of these revisions are, um, you know, let's say a proposal comes in and for whatever reason, the exact set aside and AMI level doesn't work for the project, but say more affordable units at a higher AMI can provide a total public benefit that makes the project launch. The administrator would have the discretion to review that and accept that proposal. Um, the initial language that was in your packet uh, had proposals approved through a development agreement. And as we just saw in the previous presentation, that's largely a type five and it can be, it can be quite a challenge. By amending that to a condition of the entitlement process, we hope that will help our uh, development stakeholders feel that they can more uh, deftly adapt to the conditions and move through the development process. So I'll pause here. Any questions on this one? Commissioner Weston. Just definition, who is the administrator in this case? The director of planning. Okay, thank you. Commissioner Parna. Um, I just wanted to know when you say that the entitlement process is sort of easier to navigate, what are we talking in terms of time, complexity, money, um, or all of the above? All of the above. Okay. Instead of going through a process, it pretty much is a collaboration with city staff on ensuring that the required conditions of getting their project going is memorialized in that document. So it's very straight A to B. Okay, and so hypothetically, does that cut down the process timeline by what, few months, maybe longer? Mm -hmm. I mean, just, hypoth I, I just to get a sense of how much they're I mean, saving. A, a development agreement is gonna be several months. Um, so it's probably several months of time savings. And it's also, uh, there's still a negotiation of what exactly the condition of the entitlement would look like. So that has to occur, okay. but there's not a council process attached to it. There's not a hearing process attached to it. It just lives with the entitlement, which is approved administratively um, as a co-compliance. So, so you're essentially saying that it's just a negotiation process without all the bureau, without all the additional approval levels, just like one, like bi-directional with the city planning team? The difference between a, who approves of the entitlement is the code administrator, who is the planning director. Okay. Who approves the, actually who approves the entitlement is the uh, technical committee, which is the planning director and the public works director. Who approves a development agreement is the city council. I mean, there will still be some projects that will go through a development agreement. You know. okay. 
Okay. Um, this is largely just cleaning up. Uh, what we're doing here is removing the uh, 2120 general provision that says um, affordable units get a bonus density or bonus market rate units. This will go into the overlake section, the pieces that we've been touching on specifically and saying the density bonus and bonus market rate unit provisions won't apply to developments in overlake. As a reminder, this was already factored into the analysis. So all the math we saw takes this into consideration. And the, uh, one, of the, one of the reasons we're pursuing this is because the development capacity increase of the zoning districts as part of the Redmond 2050 process is in fact representing that kind of otherwise bonus. So it's, it's just cleaning that up. Uh, any questions? And this last one is uh, also largely a cleanup. We just need to basically control F and replace the term religious property throughout with our faith-based definition that is in 2178. I will note it'll need to be a little bit more nuanced for um, F.5 because the point is to reference the revised code of Washington, which is using the term religious property. So that will take a little bit more nuance, but the intent is the same. We're, we're basically just getting consistency. And here's our timeline. Look at all those public hearings. <laughs> Look at all those checked offs. And we recognize that there's a lot here. Um, so we wanted to provide explicit language to help make sure everything is captured. Um, but as always, uh, let's have a discussion. What are our thoughts at this point? Okay. Commissioner Van Nyman. So when we're talking about the recommendation, it's the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, okay. So. Ooh, and uh, I'm sorry, real quick, I want to emphasize that uh, while the commission makes a recommendation as a whole, every commissioner, of course, has the opportunity to attach as an exhibit to the report that goes to council their own uh, independent opinion. Um, and, you know, we, uh, we don't, you know, we vote, we don't operate on consensus. Consensus is not even always desirable. We explore the, the problem space. So we don't have to agree. We just have to come so up with just a... Just to clarify then, the, the, any minority opinion would, if I object to any one thing, I have to vote against the whole package. Is just what we're saying. Well, you can make a proposal if you like to um, amend it and see if you can get votes for that. Another option is if you if you wanted to, the commission could take separate votes on the plan and the regulations. I I wouldn't suggest splitting it into like a, a lot of votes because I like it confusing. But if you wanted to. If you love the policies but not the regulations, you could have. Yeah. If there's, you could have two votes. You know, if there's example. something that you uh, object to that you want to change, you could try to see if you could get four votes for it. I'm I'm clear on I'm pretty clear on where people are at. And okay. I just I, I'm fine with that. Okay. Um, and I, I 
I just don't want to withhold my approval for the entire packet when it's one thing in particular that I object to. So I would, I would prefer to vote separately on the zoning changes. Just. Okay, we can do that. Um, I mean, I'm curious to know what, what, what the thoughts are and, and yeah. um, because maybe, maybe I'm in agreement with you or maybe I'm not, I mean, I'd be curious to know. Yeah. Well, I, I've stated my concern the whole time that I think that the that that we're making it too difficult for developers to build, and we're and we potentially we're risking not ending up with any housing at all. That this is not a solution specifically for affordable housing. This is a solution for or that 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 the the zoning change applies. To everything that that if you if you've overshot, there is a point. We don't know mathematically where the point is. There is a point where you've mathematically you've pushed the developers too far. You're, you're effectively taxing the developers. I mean, you know, effectively. And if you've if you've if you've overshot it, they don't build because it's too expensive. They don't build anything. They don't just not build your affordable housing that you wanted. They don't build anything. And then supply is constrained and prices go up, which is the exact opposite of the intention of the program. I don't claim to know exactly where that number is. I'm just not entirely persuaded that we've found the right. There's a number somewhere. I mean, I think we can all agree there's a number somewhere that says you've made it too hard for them to build. I, I just think direct subsidies are probably a more effective way to not try to manipulate um, the developers into um, that, that you're not manipulating the free market the same way that you're you're allowing developers to build so that that's my concern I, and I, I think I've made that clear and I kind of understand where the rest of you are at and I get it I think direct subsidies I think any way you go, you're manipulating the market. There's no such thing as a completely free market. Direct subsidies also manipulate the market, just at a different end. I'm just saying that direct subsidies affect only the part of the market that you're actually trying to impact, which is affordable housing, whereas no, this that's, potentially that's, impacts that's not true. the entire kit and caboodle. No, direct if, subsidies implement impact the entire the market because they impact the... They impact the demand side, which will also drive up rates, rate, rents. If you add more money faster than you add more supply, it will drive up rents. So the goal is to try to add as much supply as you possibly can. And this... Right. But the supply market, the market won't solve the affordable housing Yes. I think I, I understand where you're coming from, but here is where I, I differ. Um, I believe that while the free market does its own thing, we are here to provide recommendations for regulations which help the community. That's the eye on the ball. Our eye on the, so if we are redefining some aspects of the market, I believe very strongly that the market will readjust and figure out a different format to do this. The same formula cannot be held 
business will reinvent itself. It, you know, it will find its level. Um, if we had a specific level where we said, okay, you know what, everybody meets at this point, it's one thing. But when we don't have that level, we have to figure out and put the needs of the people first because they have definitely come up and said, we can't stay here, we can't afford it. So I believe that it is our place to talk about how free market cannot be that free because it comes at the expense of the people in the community. Commissioner Weston. Yeah, I don't, uh, the thing that, um, I really agree what you're saying with the, the level, like that there is a level somewhere and we don't know where it is. Um, the things that I'm watching in this decision, I'm not necessarily trying to convince you because I think you've been really consistent in your view and I understand that. The things that really um, speak to me in this are first of all, just understanding where the need is, like market rate housing the way the market is set right now is not the need. It's, so it's, there's a huge gulf there and trying to kind of nudge some of that back into where the need is instead of where the profit is. I think it's um, like a difficult choice, but I think it's the right choice. And then the other piece, um, there was an argument last week, or sorry, two weeks ago at our last meeting, um, just about how much the value of the land and the value of the property rises as it's improved. And the argument that the public, like Redmond, the people who live here should be able to share in some of that, um, was to me, that was a very strong argument. It's, we're not trying to cripple business or cut off resources or deny growth. It's really saying like there is a rising tide here and trying to seize it to make that moment work where we can actually fill a huge need in our community at the same time that we're building. Commissioner Van Lyman. Can you maybe clarify then for me, when we talk about the, the cost of the land, and I, I, I certainly understand the idea that this, the, the community gets to take advantage of the appreciation in the land, but the landowner is the one that gets the, the increased price for their land, and then we're effectively, pardon the shorthand, taxing the developer, right? That the, the landowner gets to walk with three times the value because we've, we've inherently uh, uh, allowed for their land to be worth more. The landowner still get, now is going to charge the developer more. So the developer has paid more for the land, which it wasn't clear that that was reflected in the analysis. And the person that ends up getting taxed and when we talk about sharing the you know the burden with the community sh sh sharing the value with the community is the developer and not the landowner so uh, <coughs> Mike Stanger senior planner at Arch and um, <coughs> the way it typically works is that they uh, the develop the the landowner if the landowner is selling to a developer let's say the landowner will not get the full value of the increased development uh, capacity because the uh, value of the development is reduced in part by the affordability of the housing. So uh, a smart developer will 
uh, account for the um, the cost of the of the affordable housing or the the reduced income from that those units and not so it let's say uh, the capacity is going from 100 to 200 units and <clears throat> now 12 and a half percent of those units are going to be affordable so they're taking into account the the cost of that they're not paying for market rate of 200 units they're paying for market rate of 187 units or whatever and 12 and a half affordable units is it or I guess I should have doubled that but no I, I understand what you're saying, that that without the city stepping in and making this change the the new value of the land is um, twice what it used to be worth three times what it used to be worth and now because the city is effectively clawing back some of that mm -hmm. the new value of the land is 2.8 times what it would have otherwise been worth because the city clawed it back yeah also note that whether you do inclusionary zoning or direct subsidy the money has to come from somewhere somebody's paying for it somewhere right well right it's not in in a perfect world there might be better ways of of t taxing and distributing yes but, things, but in, in the world the we live in so many tools in the world we live in the money if you know if we said okay we're going to throw this out and do direct subsidy we would need a revenue source for that direct subsidy well and and again in a perfect world maybe that well I, but i'm not no, i'm not in a perfect world well, i'm just saying like the, I, if you wanted to, if you wanted that model you have yes you have to come up with the revenue stream but on the other hand you're allowing for more robust supply to be created n not necessarily because where am i you know where am i going to get that money am i going to tax yeah i mean you know the way developers are saying is we'll do fee and lieu but if i do fee and lieu at a rate that i would need to be comparable to inclusionary zoning then it's costing them the same I mean, the money it, ta it takes to do this is the money it takes to do this. Right? I mean, Commissioner Wesson. And it, actually, um, the issue with that to me isn't, the cost might be the same, but the amount of actual affordable housing that results is much lower because yeah. fee and lieu takes a while to accumulate and then you don't have the land and you're waiting for a but, you know, Even if I could get it immediately, if I'm going to give direct subsidy to the same number of people that inclusionary zoning would provide housing to, it's going to cost more if, if they're not built. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't see how it's going to be cheaper Right. To provide housing to that same number of people. And there's an opportunity cost in when a project is in front of you versus a yeah. hypothetical project. And so if I'm doing, if I'm getting the money from developers either way, I don't really see, I mean, they want it because they think they'll get cheaper and I'm going, but then I won't get the housing I want. Right. So somebody's got to pay for it. I don't get to just pull money out of the sky. I mean, I think in the, in the you, know, you said it well. And at the end of the day, it comes down to profit versus need, need versus profit. We're making a decision. Are we making a decision based on the needs of the community or elements of the community, or are we making needs, making decisions based on 
dollars and cents and frankly profit. It really boils down to those two decisions, those two options. I'd also like to add that we, all the economic arguments have been in the near term. I am not saying that the numbers will pencil in 20 years from now. I don't know what it's going to be like, mm -hmm. but nobody's discussed the economic repercussions of either not building this, not going with this option or going with this option in the long term. So in the long run, we know what the social costs are going to be if we don't have, but we don't know what that looks like if we kick the can down the road. This is an opportunity in Overlake because, and one of the King County housing people or somebody alluded to this, and I thought it was a very fair point, is we are doing a significant upzone. We are not going to see that again for a very long time. There's, we're not going to have skyscrapers every place in the city. So skyscrapers or, you know, high, high buildings in whatever way, right? So this is that point in time. You either do it now or we hold our peace on this tool because you, it is now that we are increasing the density. So there's actual opportunities for the developers to get creative with their options to develop different types of buildings and maximize their returns in other ways, which weren't possible before and unlikely to be again in any other place because, you know. So for me, that's the opportunity here. That's Overlake right now. Light rail. Uh, everything will get built up significantly now. So I, I hear you and I understand that, but if, if there was a tangible alternative, right, we could have a discussion. But for me, right now, I don't see, the cost of inaction is too high. That's how I'm weighing it right now. I don't think there's a right answer or a wrong answer. No. Right. They're both good answers. I think it comes down to the choice. Are we, are we, are we looking to meet some of, some of the need of the community? It's not all, but some of the need of the community. Or are we looking at the, 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 the profit needs of developers? It's a choice we're making. Well, at the end of the day, we have a $3 trillion and I, and I, and company. I and I respect your opinion. If there's no profit, there is no housing. I understand, but I don't think this is eliminating the profit. At the end of the day, we have a $3 trillion company that employs 50,000 people in Redmond. I'm just saying that the choice is not between need and profit, because if without profit, there, there is no housing being built at all. And I would say that if there's an opportunity to build housing, there will be a developer that builds it, whether it's these sets of developers or alternate de developers. And so it still comes down to a decision that we're making. Are we making a decision for the needs of some of the people in this community, or are we making the needs for the investment needs of developers? There's not a right answer. There's not a wrong answer. It's a choice that we're making, and it's an individual choice that we're making. Are we, yeah, I think, I think we've... Pursued this is the, um, before we vote. Can we just very briefly discuss the pioneer provision? Sure. The pioneer provision, because there have been a lot of changes since we last saw this. Okay. Two weeks ago, and I just want to give it air. Okay. So we're not including parking, which is something that was very as an additional sweetener, which was something that was 
potentially floated in a very brief comment at the end of last time. There was a lot of discussion about parking. Um, I think the high level reminder is that parking requirement minimums are generally going away. And so there's not really a pioneer provision to, to go into because we're making it less, not more. Okay, I'm totally comfortable with that. I just wanted to check. And then the step down is the other piece. So where, where did these numbers come from? Because when we talked about increasing them, I was kind of surprised to see that the total increase was 50. <laughs> that didn't seem like a lot to me. Well, the increase is 50 plus the split of no longer going directly down to 68. Oh, the I? dollars associated with the, right, okay. Right, so it's 50 units plus the affordability based on the other AMIs. Yeah. Right, okay. And just to clarify, this is a unit is a regular unit, not the, the total size of the project, not an affordable unit. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And then the math that when you talked about, I did the math on 30 years of building 8,000 units, right? Yeah, there's yeah. going to be... So it's like 300 and some per year, if you just did it linearly. So this would be a year and a half, effectively, worth of something like that. I mean, I, I, know, they, I know they come in, uh, it's not linear, but... Yeah, and one of the considerations of this uh, is that it does kind of provide that little incentive to get going a little bit sooner than otherwise would. Commissioner Weston. Um, is this addressed? So the idea of comps as being a driver of the Pioneer Project was raised a few times. Are comps playing into this or is it really just trying to get the ball rolling, trying to get one or two or three new projects like in the hopper? I didn't hear the question. Um, so the original, some of the like December era conversations on the Pioneer Project were about um, creating comps um, so that other projects could get their financing later. Is that still a consideration for these or is it really just about the calendar and trying to get things moving along? I don't know if it's a primary driver, but it certainly does add that kind of proof in the pudding. Right. Once, once, the, once your first ones get built, then that does create comps. Okay. But is it the, we'd gone around talking a little bit about that originally, and that's not really a reason to think about the Pioneer Project. Like, it, this isn't a, like, um, a trial in the same way that those original conversations were. This is much more just trying to get people in the door. I would say so, because our current eight-year MFTE program already requires 60% AMI units in Overlake, so um, we know that, that it does work. So this is not, you know, an untested experiment. Great. Thank you. Okay. Uh, would someone, you want to bring up the uh, motion again? Would someone like to make a motion? 
Right, I will read all the text. Um, I would like to move that the Planning Commission recommend approval of amendments to the housing element and housing element technical appendix of the comprehensive plan for now, and then a second vote on the Redmond Zoning Code later. Do we have a second? I second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Okay, so that part's approved. And we have a motion on the zoning code. And I also move that the Planning Commission recommend approval of amendments to the Redmond Zoning Code for the associated housing regulations as provided in the Commission's January 24th, 2024 published packet materials and as amended according to the content shown in the updated slides of tonight. I second. All in favor? Aye. 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 All opposed? Nay. Okay. And that passes four to one. And um, if you want to uh, add a dissent to the packet, when do you need it? I think we said, <clears throat> we were talking about Monday so that anybody would have the weekend to be able to do that. That means it wouldn't be in your packet on Friday, but we could send it out by email before the meeting. But it would be in time to get it to the city council by February 6th. Would that work for people who have intentions, intentions of <laughs> writing? Okay, Monday be okay? Did you also say earlier, if I, if I understood you correctly, that if even if you did vote yes, you can also add? Um, yes, you can. Everyone is invited. Yes. So even if you voted yes, you can. If you are so inspired between now and Monday, please, please send it our way. Okay. <laughs> yeah, just get it by Monday. Yeah. I have I have submitted a, an opinion even on something I voted yes on before. So. Is that like Monday 5 o'clock or Monday midnight? Sunday 11.59. I'll let you figure that out. Okay. Thank you, Ian. Uh, how about if we take a five-minute break before we move on? So it's 8.24. We'll, we'll make it 6. We'll come back at 8.30.
We'll next take up Rebin 2050 transportation element and related regulations final draft study session. Jeff. All right, good evening. Um, Josh Mueller, Jeff Churchill here to walk through the transportation element and uh, appendices and regulations. We presented ago we presented the whole package with the presentation and said that tonight we would focus on the issues matrix that had been generated um, over the last couple of years actually and because many of these have updates based on the final draft and this is in preparation for a hearing uh, that's scheduled for next Wednesday the 31st uh, for all of this so if it's all right with you I thought we go through the open issues and talk about what has changed. Does that sound like a good plan? Okay. Um, issue one is about strategies for achieving target zero and the language around that has changed. And so we'd um, love to hear what commissioners think about that. And it's bolded here on the screen. Yes. Just a note for Chris that the um, the view on the screen is of us, not of the document. Hmm? Is that a problem? What? Oh, just usually we have a view of the document here. It might be my meeting. What's, what's, uh, I'm seeing the document. Okay, got it. Never mind. Yeah. I'm seeing the document. Okay. So the, the main discussion point previously was whether or not to include a target year. Ah, right. And so this has been revised to, it doesn't, it doesn't say there's a year, it doesn't say there's a not a year. It basically says do a vision zero action plan and, and, and base your actions on that and your outcome is based on that. So that's that's the kind of change in approach. Yeah. I was the person who was unhappy with the target year because I didn't think it was realistic given where we were and what we were doing. So I'm happier with this. I don't like okay. aspirational policies. <laughs> I like policies that are realistic and achievable. <laughs> Okay, so is it okay to close this issue then? Yes. All right. Issue two is about the wording in equity and mobility and raised by Commissioner East when Commissioner East was on the commission. And so uh, there haven't been a lot of changes to this section or the approach. What has changed is that we're working with Jan Harrison, who's the diversity, equity, and inclusion program advisor for the city for her to develop a consistent approach that we can apply throughout the comprehensive plan. So she's doing that now. Um, 
So we haven't changed this yet, but I would anticipate um, refinements based on recommendations from Jan that you would see um, in the summer, again, with like the loose ends, like that would be one of the loose ends. So that's, so I don't know that we could close it now, but that's kind of the, the path that we're on. Yeah, I mean, I think we can go ahead and close this because the whole thing will be addressed. I'll speak for Judy since she's in Texas. <laughs> Okay, several of these have been closed. We're going to scroll forward to the open ones. Okay, issue 14. And um, Commissioner Parna had um, emailed earlier saying a number of these could be closed, and I believe one of them was issue 14. And I think it's actually several in a row. But do we want to say what they were about? This one was about um, infrastructure resilience. Uh, 15 was another one. No, that wasn't. An, that one was Commissioner Weston, actually. So let's stop there. And this was about reflecting different parts of the population in the policies, specifically trips taken by and generated by children. And so we've done two things. We've updated the narrative to include a specific example that uses uses children in like a trip that they take. And then um, policy 6.7, and all these will be renumbered. They won't have decimals at the end, but just for the sake of keeping the numbers consistent from draft to draft, they haven't changed. It doesn't, it doesn't mention like, children specifically, but it does talk about the independent mobility of those who cannot or choose not to drive, and that does include children. Um, so I'm torn on this. The intent of the comment was just that... Um, the transportation is a problem for people with children specifically um, in a way that is possibly different from someone that chooses not to drive or can't drive. Um, it just, children generate a lot of trips generally to the same places, generally at times when other people with children are traveling there. And it just, um, I don't feel like that quite emerged in this revision of it. I'm willing to table this was I was very new on the commission when I made this comment, but I still think the the point holds that one of the scariest traffic situations that I encounter as a Redmond residence is outside the middle school. And the second scariest is outside the high school. And I don't go to the elementary schools because the driving is very, very difficult there. Um so I just, I still feel like there is a real point here where it's um, like the place I most worry about pedestrian safety, the place I most worry about bike safety, the e-bike safety is really daunting at the um, secondary schools. I just, I feel like there is a real question right now about um, how do we achieve any of these goals if we don't like take a harder look at what's happening with kids. Like they have to get somewhere after school to childcare. They have to get um, like the sports practice zoo outside some of the parks. It's just like there's a real tension point here where it's I love the policies as written, but when I go through them in terms of the families I know with kids, they are not achievable. You should try. You should try driving on one o fourth. Right. Everyone has their tails. Like I just, it's really. <laughs> 
Like you should try making a left turn wherever. Like you should completely avoid this rotary. Redmond High and uh, Mann and Hartman Park and yeah. the middle school. And the that, pool. That whole, that, whole, that whole neighborhood is just a danger zone. Right. It's not just people, it's property too. Right. So I don't know. I'm just, I'm really torn on this because I want to be able to close it. But I, I think that there's a real like nugget of a problem here that is intractable and it's going to make it hard to achieve the rest of the goals. I wonder if you think that the, is the, is the problem, is the, are the problem and kind of the, the, the future we want, are those clearly identified in the element? Because I, I think we need that. The, the how we solve it, I think belongs in the transportation master plan and in other places that are kind of the how and the strategy and the actions. But I think if we can identify the problem and the future we want here, I think that's what we really need to do. And so I'm interested in your, in your perspective tonight or another time on like if, if we're there yet or if, or if we need more here. I think it needs to be stronger. So that's why I'm saying like I'm reluctant to close it because I, and I really appreciate the redirection to the transportation master plan because I think you're exactly right. That's the place where most of this belongs. But I think there is a real issue around. I think what I'm hearing you saying is you don't think that the problem is well articulated in the document. I could read this document and not realize that like transportation to and from schools is an issue. Like I could be like, yes, children also travel in cars, but it's not, it's not a like, this is, like the most difficult, there's like one business parking lot that I know of and then the schools and it is, those are always dicey situations. There's Trader Joe's and- I wasn't gonna mention it by name, but yes. Uh, Trader Joe's is nationally known to be a problem. Notoriously. Yes. But um, so I don't know, I really still think that there's an issue here that needs a little bit more okay. wrapper. <clears throat> All right. Thank you. Good discussion. Uh, 16 was from Commissioner Glibhoff, and uh, we have more information now than we did then. So there's, an, there's Appendix H, which has the different types of bicycle facilities and where they would be located identified on a map, including the protected bicycle facilities. He's not here to provide his opinion on that. I'll close it for him. <laughs> yeah. uh, go ahead. Oh, I just, um, I also, I appreciated him championing this. Um, three of my family, I'm the only family member who doesn't do almost all of their commuting by bicycle. Um, so this is a hot topic in my household. I've been keeping an eye on it and I really appreciate all the work that went into it. Sure, partner. On a very light note, this feels like sedimentary rock. You know, know. seeing all the different commissioners, <laughs> ghosts of Christmas past. So, yeah. Keep waiting for Roy to show up in here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, issue 17 is about communication and education about the transportation system. Uh, it came up in the context of parking. We did revise that policy to address education and communication. I don't even remember what that meant. Um. <laughs> it has been, it's been yeah. a while. So that was a discussion um, about bike safety mostly. Um, at the time, just that people 
like if people were more aware of their options for biking, especially around the school question, like getting to the middle schools, and there were like more people actually doing it, then it would be safer. So it was it was very tied into that it's child piece. Comment that I often make about community outreach and trying to persuade people to understand how safe they can be. If you don't if you don't help them understand the safety features that have been built into the system, they might assume that it's not safe for their child to ride their bike to school. Yeah, and I think there was also a bus component to it, if yeah, I'm remembering it was also properly. About all the options which are available and how connectivity happens. It was both connectivity and access and, and, safety. and safety that you brought up. Thank you for reminding me. Apparently it was a good point. <laughs> we might want to keep it open because I think the policy where it's addressed is a, it's a parking policy specifically. And I know it, it did come up in the context of parking and probably all of those other contexts also, but it, there might be a better place for that kind of thing. But I think, I think we know what you're after. We just might need to find the right place to put it. Okay, issue 18 is about lane closures, treating the closures of bicycle lanes the same level of seriousness as closure of vehicle lanes. We are proposing amendments to the code that would strengthen the criteria for closure of ped and bike facilities, um, specifically looking at safety, convenience, and uh, continuity. Excellent. Okay, issue 19 is about um, electric vehicle charging infrastructure. And there's been some conversation between Commissioner Parna and myself about this one um, subsequent to sending out the packet. Uh, I think what we will propose to do is to amend um, TR33 to address more broadly electric vehicle charging infrastructure. This also comes up in the climate resilience element in CR24, but the concept does not come up um, explicitly in the transportation element. Commissioner Parra. I think the fleet ele electrification part is important. I don't think we should let go of that. It's also in addition to, it's, it's basically public EV uh, charging infrastructure. Because there are, uh, on implementation side, there are going to be a few issues which have to be sorted out on that. So at the TMP level, you're we are seeing a lot of issues when we implement it on various sites um, at my day job. So uh, from a perspective of making sure it's there, but then, you know, kind of wrapped correctly um, is mm -hmm. kind of important, so. Okay. Issue 20. Uh, it was about event congestion management. I mean, we have a, a paragraph's worth of response here. Um, that is partly there's there's policy that gets at some of this, and that some of this might it is really a they are they are operational issues and how we operate the system that wouldn't find a good home here in the transportation element. That's fair. Thank you. Issues 21 through 23, um, I received communication from Commissioner Aparna that those were okay to be closed. Is there anybody who wants to stop and look at any of them specifically? 
Okay. And is that the end? That's the end. 23 is the end. <laughs> um, as you, uh, the other thing that we can do tonight, um, if you desire, is just if, as you've read through the materials, if there's anything else that's come up that you want to just put on our radar as we prepare for the hearing, please let us know. Otherwise, we will proceed to the hearing next week to accept public testimony. Okay. Any, anything new? Okay. Then we will proceed to hearing next week. Thank you very much. Thank you. And now we'll move on to uh, Ribbon 2050 Community Develop Development and Design Element Draft 2 Study Session. And Lauren will lead us. Good evening, uh, Lauren Alpert, Senior Planner, she, her pronouns. Let's see if I can figure out how to share my screen. Present. How's everyone doing? Okay. All right. So we are going to talk about community uh, development and design uh, element draft 2.0 this evening. So this is, as we've talked about before, an entirely new element. Um, it consolidates the community design element, which was formerly community character and historic preservation, the center's policies, and it adds new sections for inclusive design, for corridor planning. So. You've seen a lot of the material that's in it before. There, it was also in your packet separately tonight. Um, but this is our, our first time bringing it all together in one, one document. Um, so some of the policy drivers behind putting together this new chapter and element are really um, equity, um, uh, having that transit, and especially equitable transit-oriented development, um, kind of simplifying and consolidating our policies and really focusing um, in the theme of Redmond 2050 and having inclusive design and universal design. <clears throat> and all the other things that our, our plan is doing, accommodating growth um, and maximizing housing um, near high capacity transit routes. So what's new in draft two? Um, well, like in all of our drafts, we added a lot of narrative um, we consolidated and reorganized our policies. So as we were putting it together, we're like, well, initially we thought this chapter, this section was gonna go here, well, let's move it here, it may flow better. Um, we strengthened a lot of the language from, you know, consider um, to you should or shall. Um, we specifically removed a lot of the specificity, specificity the specifics um, <laughs> from the plan, it's late. Bear with me. So we removed a lot of the specifics that were in a lot of that community character chapter previously um, because that belongs more in the regulation side. Um, so we wanted to have it broad enough to be a policy. Um, and then we added a lot of uh, clarifications and new policies based on some of the feedback we heard on draft one, both from the planning commission, council, stakeholders, and a, a lot from our community engagement and um, including our engagement with staff. And, you know, everything got new numbers. Um, what else is new? So we also 
in the interim, as we were working on this draft, we finalized our EIS. So we added all of those new numbers in. We added more definitions for TOD and our centers. Um, we added um, incorporated Marymore um, under the center's policies. Um, so yeah, a lot of the policies are in centers and downtown. We're like, well, let's pump this up to a center-wide policy. This is good for the into all of the centers. Um, let's not just limit it to one center. Um, so for example, we had a, a policy that we had put in downtown for charging e-bikes and other mobility devices. I'm like, well, that's good in all of our centers. Let's pump that up. So. Um, so those are some of the changes that you, you see in draft two. Um, so the discussion for this evening, do these changes um, identified in the attached slides support and promote our themes of equity, inclusion, and resiliency? Do the vision statement reflect our city's vision? And do the accompanying narrative provide clarity and support in related policies? And then also, you know, your other comments and questions um, are always welcome and appreciated. And um, I'll be working on the issues matrix for, for all of your comments as we go. So if I'm staring at my screen as you talk, please, please excuse me. <laughs> I'm listening. All right. Commissioners, comments? Go ahead, commissioners. All right. So I really like the way this is shaping up. It looks great overall. I had a few small nits. Um, Let me... Let me pull up the issues matrix. Yeah, they're very tiny. Okay. Um, so one um, is TOD and the new to me acronym ETOD. Um, I think we all know what that is, but to me reading this, it was like a, a rare form of jargon. Um, and so I would like the acronym... I always need to mentally spell out, and I've read it so many times. I would rather, I've seen other places in other documents and other elements where we've just written out that this is transit-oriented development. Mm -hmm. And there's been caps, so it's like a nod to the fact that it's a term, um, but not using it. There was one policy, um, CTR 12, that actually used TOD or ETOD four times in one policy, and it was just, it was like a lot of TOD. Um, yeah, I think we... Yeah. So uh, just a clarity point. Um, should I go through? Sure. Okay. Um, I had two maps questions. Um, so the one that goes with overlake policies, one through six, um, I think you really need to include a map that shows um, the overlake, urban, multifamily, and OBAT on the map, but that wasn't on the map. There was just the metro center versus neighborhood. So the the resulting policy, those six policies would make more sense with that extra level or a second map. Um, likewise, on page 18, there was a great map, but the label is way too small to read. So it showed kind of all the downtown zones. Um, and it, if you know what that is, it's a great, but the label needs to be expanded so that it's actually usable. Um, and then uh, another knit, on OV19, expanding the street grid isn't clear wording. I could actually do that one about like five different ways in my head, like what that means. Oh, like the wording is not clear. Right. So were we saying that we're filling in the street grid as development happens? Or are we expanding the roads as development happens? Which policy was that again? It was OV19. Expanding the street grid. Okay. So just, a, I'm not sure exactly what that meant, but 
being a little bit more precise with that one. And then um, the final one was just a comment on Marymore Village, um, both in the overview and in MV9. Um, there was an allusion to which tribes are interested and affected, but I think it would be more powerful and also useful to specifically list out which tribes we mean. Um, and so I think that's Duwamish and Snoqualmie, but there might be others. Um, and I would also, just in the um, issues matrix, I would love to know if the city has met with any representatives of those tribes or leaders of those tribes to actually review this policy document because I really think that they should have an opportunity to weigh in. Like, I don't like having an allusion to representation that is not actually reviewed with anyone that's being claimed to be represented. I just, that's, it's an MV9. It was MV9. Okay, and to... also in the Marymore Village vision blurb. Okay. Commissioner Farna. Um, I just had a much broader question. Um, I looked at the framework for downtown one and two, and then I look at the framework policies for Overlake. That's on, uh, I forget the page number. But basically, the downtown policies are clear. You know, there's a land use framework policy, and then there's a design policy. This one seems a bit more like the framework for uh, policy OV1 has, it has two different sentences in each. OV1 and OV2 have two different sentences. And somehow they, um, I think either we are, it's overcomplicated or something, but like OV2, the first two, the two, two sentences don't really um, kind of mesh. We're talking about development and investments in Overlake, address transportation, issues of concern to both Redmond and Bellevue, and then help to retain and enhance a focus on sustainability and resiliency within the area through addition of parks, street trees, and landscaping. So one, they're two different points, and two, I'm not sure if sustainability and resiliency is about parks, street trees, and landscaping. Um, so I have a little quibble about how that is phrased because I really liked how it's done in downtown. It's clean, like there's a land use component and there's a design component, right? And like overlay one, and for consistency, I think all the centers should have a pattern in terms of their framework policies, however that is. and. Uh, Overlake 1, uh, FW Overlake 1, OV1 is um, the public and private investments is sort of understood by saying support Overlake, sort of. In my head, it's implied, but it could be a supporting policy. Maybe just pull out the second sentence as a, as a, what's the next level policy? Just policies, I guess. So, yeah, I just want to make sure I'm clear at the, the sentence in the framework OV1 could be pulled out as a separate right. policy it underneath. A, it's a sort of a policy as part of that framework. Okay. When we say support overlay as a focus for high technology, it is understood that we would encourage public and private investments that reinforce the desired character. So we choose one or the other because it's very, very big for one policy. I... I, I don't know why, but I really like the downtown one. It seemed very, hey, you know what? This is what we want to do. 
And this is what we're going to build, and this is how we're going to build it. It's very clean. I don't know if that helps or hinders. <laughs> Thank you. No, it's good to hear it all. Like who's next? <laughs> Anything else? I mean, I'm I'm She's building. I'm creating it right now. So we're creating. You will have it for next week. If I mean, I will finish it tomorrow. So it's in your packet for next week. As I feel Ian's eye glaring on me <laughs> to get the issues matrix done tomorrow. It's being created as we speak. You can. Um, Add to it. And this, because this is a new chapter two, we'll be coming back with another draft and a lot more edits too, because we are also continually to do community engagement on a lot of these policies. More things for the issues matrix? I probably have more, but I can send that it's probably wordsmithing comments so just send it by email as opposed to yeah, it, yeah. if you don't send it tonight it may not get in the packet for next week but if it's if it's some wordsmithing stuff then yeah we usually kind of lump all those together anyway right. i'll just send it whenever it makes it makes it right anything else all we've got tonight <laughs> all right thank you okay now, staff and commissioner updates. Ian. Last night in this very room, long range planning staff shared more phase two element policies with the council. And right up top, I want to say that the council was super appreciative of all the hard work that the planning commission and staff have invested into this project. Like they were, it, it was just. It was wonderful, and they're very interested in your work, and they appreciate the work. Um, it might be uh, worthwhile to take a little look at the VOD. I think it was a pretty short meeting overall, too. Um, and then the second, this is like highlighted and underlined. We do have a special meeting next week, 31st. Uh, TIS knows about it. Our visual knows about it. We need to make sure our commissioners know about it. So please let me know if there's anything we can do to support you. Uh, it's going to be a tight turnaround for our packet materials, uh, but we'll, we will do the best that we can. And we have a public Pizza? hearing. We have a public hearing. <laughs> we have a public hearing next, next, next week. So yes, so we really need, we need quorum. Because if we don't, if we don't have quorum, we can't hold a public hearing, and then we have to re-notice it and bad. Okay, thanks, Ian. Um, any commissioner updates? Anybody got any exciting news for us? Okay, seeing nothing, I will take a motion to adjourn. So moved. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 And we are adjourned. <laughs>